0: Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, Acts chapter number 16. I've enjoyed uh, just getting into uh, the book of Acts, and as we've been unpacking it and uh, seeing what the Lord has for us, it's just been it's been one of my favorite studies as I just continue to go week to week and, and, uh, and study for the next passage that we're going to be in. And uh, we're now into the second missionary journey. And uh, one thing I love, uh, you, so you know, as a preacher, one of the most encouraging things uh, to hear and to see is, is when someone uh, who heard you preach applies what they heard from the Word of God. I love seeing that. And uh, for those of you uh, w- who were here last week, this happened this week, okay? So last week, you'll remember, I mentioned Chick-fil-A, all right? And my wife was on the west side and brought me Chick-fil-A. Oh, don't you love when the Lord works in people's hearts? Love it. It was great. Now, yeah, last week, we were in Acts chapter number 16, and uh, we began uh, what's really known as the second missionary journey and of course the beginning of the first missionary or the second missionary journey and here's kind of a map to look at to uh, where we can visualize it they started in antioch all the way over antioch of syria and as they were there uh, paul and barnabas had a little bit of a disagreement over uh, how they were going to accomplish this and uh, and so they came to uh, really the agreement to just disagree and uh, barnabas took john mark off uh, that's what this little squig or dotted line is over to cyprus he took john mark over there to confirm the churches and paul chose silas to go with him and they went up through uh, syria and cilicia and ended up in derby and then lystra and antioch of pisidia and iconium and confirmed the churches that they had already been to on the first missionary journey but then we saw last week that uh, that it it's now expanding past places they've already been, and they wanted to go into Asia and they wanted to go into Bithynia, uh, but the Holy Spirit told them no. And gave them clear direction through a a vision of the Macedonian call is what many people would call it. That a man from Macedonia says to Paul, come and help us. And then right at that moment they're in Troas. And they go from Troas here on the uh, western coast of uh, what would be a Turkey, modern day Turkey, and ended up crossing over to Samothrace or Samothracia, which is a little island, beautiful island. I think I spent a little bit too much time in my study looking at uh, pictures of that island today. It's just beautiful, great place for them to stop on their way, but they end up over in the area of Macedonia, specifically came to an, a town called Philippi. And as they get to uh, this town called Philippi, that's where we're going to pick it up and see some of what takes place. And what I love about what I love about this is uh, this is the first time uh, that we're seeing the, the the gospel get to Europe. Okay, and uh, what what I picture uh, would have taken place isn't quite what Luke focuses in on. And what I mean by that is when. When uh, I've seen the, as we've seen the gospel kind of come to new places, there's usually some big great awakening take place, right? Of like thousands of people come to know the Lord and, and, and start to follow and, and a church gets started and people start doing these great things. And so when, what I picture is that they would like get to Europe, get to Philippi, fire shooting out of Paul's hands, you know, like something crazy is taking place for everyone to go like, wow, this, this Christianity thing is where it's at. But Luke doesn't, doesn't go and, and chronicle for us that any of that took place. What he goes is he gets personal into the lives of three different people that were touched by the gospel. And a church gets started as a result. And, uh, and later, Paul writes a letter to these believers. Uh, and, and an amazing thing takes place as we see these three different converts. And what I want us to see as we go through the passage really is how Paul. We saw it a little bit on the first missionary journey, uh, but Paul uh, is really good at capitalizing on complications, really good at at leveraging hardships and and using them to further the gospel. And, and I want us to see that a little bit today. And so Acts chapter number sixteen, we're going to begin reading in verse thirteen and just read through verse twenty-five. This morning, but the Bible says this On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by the riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and her household, She besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command I thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men... Being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison." And made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. I love that response. They, they're not in the most comfortable of situations, and yet their response is just to pray and to praise the Lord. And I hope that we'll see today as we go through the story on how to truly view problems that we may capitalize on any complications that may come our way. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into the message. Lord, we come to you once more this morning, and thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for giving it to us, and Lord, for uh, giving us exactly what we need. We pray, God, that this morning, as we dive into it, that you give each and every one of us something that we can do, or something that we can uh, cling to, Lord, something that we can claim from you, uh, to just draw our hearts to you, Lord, that we may be more in love with you and that we may serve you more passionately. Lord, we we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would uh, just calm uh, any thoughts that are going on in our heads that we may be able to focus on what you have for us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, There was a story I was reading <clears throat> in one of the books that some time ago, uh, there were these wolves that were coming in and picking off the livestock of ranchers at an alarming rate, and so the state had offered a bounty of $5,000 for every wolf that was killed uh, in this area, and uh, it turned these two men, Sam and Jed, into fortune hunters. Uh, they, they, day and night, they would search the mountains and, and forests looking for their valuable prey this these wolves that they could find and exhausted one night they fell asleep dreaming of their potential fortune and suddenly sam awoke to see that they were surrounded by about 50 wolves with flaming eyes and bare teeth okay and he nudged his friend and yelled jed wake up we're rich it's all about perspective (laughs) right now here's a true story okay Uh, Annoyed with burrs and stickers. How many of you love those things? Good. We're all on the same page. Those stink, okay? I hate burrs. I hate stickers. Those things are terrible. Uh, But annoyed with how they would always get stuck to uh, his socks and to his dog, a Swiss engineer by the name of George de Mestral decided after one of his hikes in the Alps to look at the burrs that were in his socks under a microscope to find out why they stuck so well. And what he found is that the tiny hooks in the burrs that were allowing them to get attached to loop weave of, to any loop weaves in fabric and, and into the dog's fur, he found these tiny hooks and this uh, consistent annoyance ended up leading to his own invention of what we know today as Velcro. So he saw a potential problem and turned it into an opportunity to create something that each and every one of us have used at least once in our lives. Uh, all, all the time I think of even now they have the things that you stick onto the wall and it's a little hook and that they normally stick with Velcro, okay? There's shoes. Uh, once you start getting uh, to the point and that you can't bend over and tie your shoes much anymore, they make Velcro ones, right? Okay, so that we can uh, use it more easily on our shoes. Another example of turning a problem into an opportunity is Uh, The the problem of food spoiling, and this wasn't a new problem, this is something we've seen for years and years and years, and in many of the stories of the Bible, they had to deal with this, and the problem of spoiled food was seen as some people as an opportunity to invent something, and one day, uh, one of the first to experiment in artificial refrigeration was a man named William Colon, all the way back in 1755. And later, Ben Franklin and, and John Hadley in 1758. And it, it has continued to advance to where today, like, refrigeration is just a luxury that we all have, right? Like, we all have refrigerators that we just stick our food in, and we're able to keep food from spoiling at least longer uh, than what it would if we didn't have refrigeration. And uh, all of these stories, what they really have in common is this. What some people saw as problems, others saw as opportunity. What some people saw as problems, others saw as opportunity. And when it, comes to, when it comes to the Christian life as well, those who are found many times to be successful and fruitful in the Christian life are ones who see problems that arise not just as obstacles to be hurdled, but that see them as opportunities for God to work in and through them. Uh, those who are truly fruitful are the ones who see problems that arise as an opportunity for God to work in and through my life. And Paul was one of those such Christians. Uh, we saw on the first missionary journey, as I mentioned a moment ago, he, he leaned into opposition and, and he learned to leverage his ha- hardships for gospel ministry. And as we unpack our passage today, we're going to see something very similar that what some would see as a problem or as an obstacle, we're, we'll see were actually opportunities for God to do something. And we already, we already saw this a little bit last week when we saw uh, the first problem on this missionary journey that seemed to arise was that God kept closing doors. God kept closing doors. Of, they wanted to go to Asia. God said no. Uh, they wanted to go to Bithynia, and, and the Spirit said no. And, and uh, that problem that was arising actually ended up being an opportunity for God to give clearer direction. That the Macedonian call came and, and they, were, uh, they were given really a greater yes. Because with God, every no is actually a greater yes. Uh, that God says no to something, it means he has the answer yes to something even greater. And they had a no from God to go into Asia and to Bithynia. But God telling them no was actually God saying yes to something greater. Well, what was the greater yes? Philippi. Uh, and a woman named Lydia. And a, a young... A, a a young girl who was demon-possessed and a Philippian jailer. Uh, That was the greater yes that God was giving them clear direction toward. And so uh, really I'm just going to give things that some would see as a problem but that was really an opportunity for God to work as we unpack the story for today. And so problem number one, I would just say, was the closed doors, but the opportunity was clear direction from God. And then problem number two, uh, as we get into the passage for today, was cultural depravity. In this, uh, there wasn't really much uh, spiritual awareness in the culture in Philippi. But what this was an opportunity for was first-generation faith. First generation faith, where there was a kind of a depraved state spiritually, there was really an opportunity for God to cultivate first generation faith to let the gospel go forward. Uh, see, the town that uh, we see, Philippi, this was a town that was a Roman colony, uh, which came along with it a lot of benefits for those that lived there. In fact, many Roman officials uh, would go to retire in places that were like Philippi because of all the benefits that Rome had given to their colonies but along with those benefits also came some specific rules some things that they had to follow Uh, one of the rules was that new religions were not allowed to be formed in these colonies and for some religions like Judaism uh, to even get a spot to worship like a synagogue there had to be at least 10 men following that religion in the colony which apparently there was not in philippi because as was the custom of paul we see on the missionary journeys he would go up to a town and on the sabbath they would go to the synagogue and they would then preach christ and and see the jews first saved and then to the gentile right he said to the jew first then to the greek and and so that was his custom but it seems as though at least from the implication of the passage that there wasn't a synagogue in philippi which means there there wasn't there weren't many people worshiping god Or at least there weren't very many men worshiping God uh, because the the rule was 10 men that were following Judaism had to be in a town for there to be a synagogue. But it seems that there was not one. And so uh, he went down to a river, okay? He went down to the river and this river would have been about a mile or two outside of the city limits. And so we see this town that's kind of culturally and, and spiritually depraved. And there are only a handful of people that are even worshiping God at all down by a river. And from the context of the passage, it seems that all of them are women. So it's, all, it's like Paul bursts into a women's prayer meeting, okay, down by the river. He gets down there. And, uh, and what's interesting about it is women in this day and age, and especially in this kind of culture, were so marginalized. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons that the rule was 10 men following Judaism to get a synagogue, okay? So the fact that there were maybe women here who were Jews that were worshiping God or some of them who were Gentiles uh, who were worshiping at least in, uh, a one, the one true God, they didn't truly know all about the gospel and what Jesus was about yet, and that's what we're gonna see Paul introduce them to, uh, but, but there were uh, women that were a little bit more spiritually minded, but they were so marginalized that they had to go way outside of town to even pray and worship, uh, which, which is why it's kind of an amazing thing to me, the fact that women were marginalized, that God takes this problem of cultural and spiritual depravity uh, and, and makes an opportunity of first-generation faith in the life of a woman. Uh, and, and what I love about that is it, it just goes to show us that truly wherever gospel, biblical Christianity is, women are elevated, we see that take place. They're, they're not marginalized. They, they're elevated. And God uses a woman here to start the revival, really, uh, that takes place over here in Philippi. This woman's name is Lydia. Uh, she was a seller of purple. She worked, uh, what that means is she worked with rich clients, okay? The, the purple that would have been made through fabrics, that was not something that just everyone wore purple, okay, I'm, I just, I'm wearing purple today, okay, uh, I just realized, but uh, today, anyone can wear purple, exhibit A, okay, anyone can wear purple, uh, but back then, all pur- purple threads were some of the finest and richest values of clothes, and so if you had purple linens, uh, you were on the rich side, so she had a clientele that was rich, and she was a businesswoman, uh, she was from Thyratyro, which was actually from Asia, and and so she was from this place called Thyatira, but had come to Philippi with this business of making purple and and selling it, and she had a family and most likely servants of some kind on her estate. She owned a house, and and not just any house, but one that was big enough to host Paul's entire missionary team and and her entire household without being embarrassed, because she she asks them to come, and, and she hosts them, and, and she comes to know the Lord along with her entire household, and, and they all get baptized. And then she can convinces Paul and his team to stay a while, and so they go around preaching and praying uh, through, through this area uh, for a little while, which, which brings us to really the next problem that arises, which was there was some spiritual oppression. Uh, possession even in the life of one girl, but uh, there was spiritual oppression coming up against uh, the missionary team, but it was an opportunity for God to uh, bring spiritual victory, for God to bring spiritual victory. And I see this in verses 16 through 18, where it tells us that there was uh, this young girl, this damsel, she would have been a girl that was anywhere from 8 to 11 years old, and uh, she was demon-possessed, and and uh, could seemingly tell uh, people's fortunes and such uh, the like. And uh, and it brought her masters a lot of money, which also tells us the fact that she had masters, that she was not a free girl. She was a slave of some kind to uh, some masters. And she was one who would uh, bring lots of money to those masters by telling people their fortunes and things like that. And uh, she was crying out it tells us she's following paul and silas and luke and timothy as they're praying as they're uh, pr- uh, teaching people uh, and witnessing that she's following them and crying out these words these men are serving the most high god and will show us the way of salvation now, on the onset that seemed she's speaking truth right these are men servants of the most high god they're going to Teach people the way of salvation. And so what she's saying is truth, uh, but, but we don't see them acknowledge what she said was truth, uh, which I, I think is because uh, the implication here is that uh, from the passage, she, she was saying it most likely in a way that would mock or make at least what Paul and his team were saying to just be another form of spiritual trickery, like what she did. And so if they would have acknowledged that what she's saying is true, we're, we're servants of the Most High God, and we're, we're here to show you the way of salvation, and validate that message that she was saying, that would in turn also validate everything else that she had said or done. Uh, and, and, and they didn't want to do that. And, and it gets to the point that they, she does this for several days, okay? It says they, uh, which is amazing to me, I'm not super patient okay i I'm, I'm a little bit patient with people but i'm not super patient and and so days on end that this girl is consistently following them and and yelling this out uh, it, it eventually gets to paul where he gets grieved he he had enough of it okay uh what the implication of the word grieved the the greek word there is that uh, he was uh perturbed like over the top a, a little bit annoyed, okay, with uh, this woman, and and just turns around and and sp- says to the spirit, "Get out of her!" In the name of Jesus, and poof, she's free from the spiritual possession of a demon. Uh, she was freed from the demon possession, and 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 instantly. So, the, this oppression on her part toward the missionary team. Was also a victory that now they had because she had been freed of the possession of this demon and so this problem of spiritual oppression on this girl and on the men while they were preaching was was actually we uh, see an opportunity for god to bring about spiritual victory and new life in the life of this young girl and so uh, what would seem a problem was actually an opportunity for god to work in a great way through paul in the life of this girl and then we get to another problem And this is the problem I I don't really like, but I love their response to it. The problem is physical suffering. Problem is physical suffering. Uh, I don't like physical suffering. Paper cuts, anything, okay? Anything that hurts, I don't like it. Uh, But in their case, physical suffering, uh, although it seemed to be a problem, would actually be an opportunity to praise God and to witness to some specific people. We see this play out from verse 19 on that it says uh, the masters of this girl, of the demon possessed girl, they saw that their hope of gains was gone. Uh, she doesn't have the spirit possessing her anymore which means she no longer has the, the, uh, the spirit of divination of being able to soothsay and tell people's fortunes and they're like oh man our hope of getting money is gone and they were angry, and so they come up against Paul and Silas, and they take them into the marketplace uh, before the rulers, and they bring them before the magistrates, and they say, these men are Jews, okay? They, they're, they're troubling our city, and they're, they're teaching customs. They're teaching a religion that's not lawful for us to receive and, uh, and to observe because we're Romans. Remember, we're a Roman colony. It's illegal to do such things like this. Really, they weren't angry at the message that they were preaching. They were angry at the fact that he took away their money, and we see this a lot with Gentiles, uh, when, when the gospel, when Jesus encounters uh, Gentiles, even I think of the maniac of Gadara, uh, and all of that, and the pigs all jump into the, the water, uh, they weren't, they, they expelled him out of their coast. it says, they kicked Jesus out of their area, it wasn't because they were, had a problem with his message, it was because their money was in the pigs. Okay, and God just got rid of their livestock and the pigs. And so they weren't happy with it. So get out of here. And we see something similar take place here that these two men have now gotten rid of what these masters saw as their their money-making scheme. And now they're not able to make money. They're angry about it. And they, they kind of bring them in before a kangaroo court in the middle of the town. And uh, the magistrates, they're, they're uh, angry about it. And they, it's really, if you read it, it's, it's really a kind of a... A racial profiling that takes place. It it, it is in this fact. It doesn't say anything about Luke or uh, about Timothy being beat. uh, Because they were both Gentiles and apparently looked like it. But Paul and Silas uh, were Jews and apparently looked like it. And so they just assumed these are Jews. They're teaching God. And so we, we throw them in. They're accused. They're, they're stripped of their clothes. They're beaten uh, with the whip and, and, uh, and then uh, you know pu- publicly flogged in front of everyone and then uh, given to a jailer to be thrown in jail with no, no real due process, no real, real Roman process that was supposed to take place. They, they broke Roman law in order to do what they did to Paul and Silas, okay? And I, I want you to remember that because we're going to see that that's an important thing in just a moment uh, and Paul, Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens so even more so they were not supposed to do this not just because they had to give everyone due process but especially Roman citizens they should have given due process to but uh, they have this physical suffering they are beaten publicly and no due process and uh, they're taken by the jailer into the innermost prison and, and their legs are spread apart and chained so that the muscles cramp So, when it says that they were put in stocks, it doesn't just mean they were given, uh, they were put in some chains. It was actually a form of torture that they would spread their legs as far as they could uh, and then chain them in that position so that their muscles would cramp and they couldn't uh, fight back or anything like that. It was a form of torture. And so uh, they're in physical pain in this moment. And at midnight, okay, so it's been a long day. At midnight, it tells us what is their response? Is it to complain? No is it Is it to uh, you know uh, talk about whatever just took place in their lives? No, that's not what we see their response is. What we see their response is is just to pray to God and to lift praises to him uh, I, I like to picture it uh, as the, as they're sitting there in chains and they're they're in the stocks and maybe they're next to each other. It says uh, that they sang praises they would have been singing you know like. Uh, some of the psalms most likely. So thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. As they're singing, I, I see them singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship his holy name. Uh, like, uh, I mean, those are songs we sing, but they're based in the psalms. They would have been singing some of uh, those psalms and it tells us that the prisoners heard them. The, the prisoners heard them. And, and this problem of physical surfer- suffering ends up turning out to be an opportunity to praise God and ultimately to see people come to Christ. Because as the story continues, they're singing praises, the prisoners heard them, and and, uh, it says this, that verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So what an amazing miracle, right? That... Uh, the, all the doors of the prison swing open at an earthquake and all of their chains just pff, fall off. What a great time to escape. Okay? But that's not what they do. At first, it doesn't tell us why, but at, at least in this sense, I, I believe just following the Spirit's leading that they uh, they knew to stay or maybe they're because the prisoners, that it says when the prisoners heard them, uh, the implication of heard them isn't just that they overheard the songs, but that they were conversing it's the same as when it talks about Lydia heard them like she was intent on hearing the message so maybe they were in the middle of a conversation and didn't even fully understand that their chains had fallen off because they were uh, talking to the other prisoners we don't know specifics in that sense but we do know this that they didn't leave and it tells us that the jailer in verse 27 uh, waking out of his sleep probably because of the earthquake sees the prison doors open and drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. So we, we've talked about this a little bit before in, in previous uh, messages where there was an escape from prison, that uh, Roman law was that those who were to keep the jail the, uh, the, the keep the people in the jail. If people would escape, uh, it was the death penalty. Okay, they were supposed to die. They would have, at the very least, been publicly beaten and all of that in front of people for letting people letting the uh, prisoners escape. And this man, he he would rather just die. And this is a man with a family. But he would he would rather die then face the implications that Rome might take toward him because of all the prisoners escaping. But I love it because Paul cries out with a loud voice, verse 28 says, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light. The jailer asks for some kind of lamp to be brought in, and he springs in and comes trembling and falls down before Paul and Silas and asks one of the most important questions anyone can ever ask. And he says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love it because it was a question of action. Like, what do I do to have what you have? And I love because Paul's, isn't, Paul's answer isn't do something. His answer is believe someone. That's what he says. He says in uh, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house. So this is all happening in the middle of the night, remember, okay? It's not like, whole day has passed this is the next day or anything still in the middle of the night they sing praises An earthquake happens they could run away but they don't the jailer comes in is about to kill himself paul says wait don't do anything we're still all here and it brings them to a point of humility to say what do i do to get what you got and he says believe on jesus and if, you're, if your household, if the people in your family do so too, they can be saved as well. And they share the gospel with them. And uh, the jailer takes time to wash their stripes. That means uh, there wasn't anything to help bandage up the wounds from their public flogging before they were thrown into prison. And now he's taking time to wash it and to clean it and to bandage them up. And then it comes to the point where uh, that he has a meal with them in the middle of the night. and And the next morning it says... Uh, Verse 35, uh, when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And I love Paul's response because Paul uses this. It's another problem they face. And the problem was this, temporary injustice. They were Roman citizens. They shouldn't have gone through what they just went through okay, they, they, uh, they had to endure some injustice temporarily, but the opportunity was future security for the church, and I want us to see that, okay, because uh, in verse 37, Paul says, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they th- thrust us out pri- uh, privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Uh, so I love it, it's I, I don't know how this all went down. You would think, as they were getting beaten, someone would have thought in their head to say, "By the way, we're Roman," like to stop the beating. Okay, I, I almost picture it almost like uh, Silas is about to say something, and he uh, he's like, "Hey, by the way," and Paul's like, Shh, "No, no." I'm like what? What do you? They get in the jail. Why didn't you let me say anything? Now I know why John Mark left you on the first missionary journey. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but he's, he, you know, I don't know how this went down, but somehow either in the Spirit's leading or in the heat of the moment, they didn't say anything when they were getting beaten. But at this point now, here's why I think Paul said something, okay? Uh, th- here's why I believe Paul said something now. Because now there's a new church in Philippi, okay? There are believers in Philippi. And the gospel brings persecution. We know that. We've seen that. Okay? And Paul sees an opportunity to give security to this new church. I almost see him uh, saying it like this. Uh, they beat us. They threw us into prison. And we're Romans, by the way. It tells us they were fearful when they found out they were Romans because they knew, uh-oh, we shouldn't have done what we, should, what we just did to these men and it's almost as Paul is saying, because uh, it puts those leaders in fear, it's almost as Paul is basically saying this, look, because of what just happened, you cross one line with my people here in Philippi, and I'm gonna make a phone call. <laughs> like, like God used this temporary injustice that took place in their lives to, as an opportunity to give future security to this new church that had been started, uh, that now... The Roman, the Roman leaders there, they're not gonna squawk, squelch this. They're not going to stomp the church down and, and kill it and say, well, this is illegal and this can't take place. Why? Because they just did something illegal to Roman citizens. And, and so God used this temporary injustice to, as an opportunity for future security for the church. The church in Philippi is seemingly untouchable now because of this. And Paul figured out even how to leverage injustice and let it favor and lean toward gospel advancement. So what's the point of all this? What's the point of seeing these problems be used as really opportunities for God to work? Well, I want us to ask, I want to ask it this way to kind of get us in the right thought process. Maybe the similar thought process that Paul and Silas and many of the apostles as they went through hardships asked. And I would ask it this way. Are your problems shaping your theology or uh, or is your theology shaping your problems? That's how, and, and meaning this, uh, do you base what you think about God off of what happens to you and what you're going through? Uh, many people do. That's why a lot of people walk away from God is because the hard times they go through make them look at God and say, well, I thought you were good. I thought you were loving. And, and the problems they go through are what's shaping their view of God. But uh, when it starts at what we know about God, Our theology, what we think about God, we say, Lord, I know you're good. I know you're merciful. I I know you're loving. I know these things about you. So when the problems come, uh, we look at those problems through the lens of the gospel and realize all of our problems are actually opportunities for God to work in and through us. They're opportunities for God to work in and through us. So three good questions. I'll close with these Questions. Three good questions to ask when we're facing a problem in life. When we're facing a problem in life, to see them as opportunities for God to work in and through us. Three good questions to ask when facing a problem. First of all, how can I use this problem to share the gospel? How can I use this problem to share the gospel? Uh, Paul, in the book of Philippians, when he wrote it, his letter to these very believers that we just saw come to know Christ in this chapter, his letter to them, he said this in Philippians 1. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. How, how can what I'm going through right now be used of God to see people saved? Great question for us to ask when we face problems. Or, or how can, when I'm done and on the other side of this problem, when God brings me through this trial, uh, how can I use what took place to proclaim the gospel? in my life how can I use this to share the gospel another question how can I grow through this how can I grow in my Christian life through this problem in the book of James he said friends count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations why knowing this that the trying of your faith works out patience it works out patience. Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29, Paul said, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to him, them who are the called according to his purpose. F- why? For, uh, for whom he did for who he knew would uh, get saved and, and, and come to know Christ, for those he knew uh, in advance, his predestined plan for them was to become more like Jesus Christ. He says to, uh, to be conformed into the image of his son. What, what is Paul saying? He's saying this, the problems that we face uh, many times are to shape us to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we go through problems, when we see trials come in our way, uh, how is this going to grow me? And how is this going to be, make me more like Jesus? The last question I would ask when I go through trials or when I come to problems is this, how can I give God glory in this? I think of Paul and Silas in our story. And, and I'm a little bit fickle, I'll just admit it. If I was in, if I had just gone through a full day like that, I, I don't know if I would have been in the stocks praising the Lord and singing and praying. I don't know, maybe praying, but it would have been more like the Psalms. God, why have you forsaken me? Why, <laughs> like you know, uh, being just raw with God in that sense. But that's that's not what it was. They just sang praises to God. They said, "How can we give God praise to this? You know what? This is a the acoustics in this prison are awesome. Let's sing." I don't know what was going through their mind, but they said, let's just praise God. Peter wrote it this way in First Peter. He says, the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, that though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why do we ask these questions when we come to problems? Because when we view our lives through the lens of the gospel, then we understand the problems we face are not just obstacles that we need to hurdle, they are truly opportunities to see god work in and through us when we when we truly look at our problems with that lens it, it helps us to capitalize on complications not be bogged down or to be uh, or to fall under the weight of circumstances but to just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and see how is he going to share the God how is he going to spread the gospel through this how is he going to grow me to be more like my savior and how is he ultimately going to get praise and honor and glory from this situation that is what our problems are opportunities for God to work in and through us thank you so much for joining us A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends. Hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media. And tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.